welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. So I'm pretty convinced that the, I would prepare for these and try and bring some meaningful feedback. And I'm pretty convinced the only thing that stuck in people's heads is whether or not they got a race. So uh, not the most meaningful conversations of all time. So to try and add some meaning, uh, as one round of reviews, I, I decided to seek some feedback from the baristas. And so I would add, just ask, hey, what, what do you love about the store and what can be better? Uh, I just would ask that, and I would would get some feedback, and it started to be pretty similar feedback, but not from a girl named Rebecca Lucretio. And Rebecca was a student at School of Mines, uh, engineering school out there, and she said, she was eager, really intense, and she just said, Garrett, our store has a religious tone. And I kind of stopped, put my pen down, I was like, is that a good thing or bad thing? And she was like, no, like, so I teased it out, what do you mean? She said, well, this store, you can just see that people care about their lives. Uh, They care about something bigger than themselves. And it's because of the tone that you set and that other believers in the store set. That our words matter, our behavior matters, our conversation matters. And that we are living lives of conviction about something that was more than just for the moment. So many baristas, so many people in life are just living for the moment, the next day, right? What can they get for themselves in the next day? How much enjoyment can they have? And there was something different about our store uh, because of, I'm convinced, Jesus in us that was shining out of us. And Rebecca could see that our manner of life, there was something different. So I want to ask as we begin tonight, what is your life known for? What are you known for now? If you were to turn to each other, right and the left, and just ask, what do, you, what do you think I'm known for? Or ask people that you're around a lot, what would they say? What's important to you? What do you value? What do you love? What are you known for? Uh, the title of the sermon tonight is Live in a Manner Worthy. Live in a Manner Worthy. So what are you known for? What is your manner of life known for? And in our passage today, uh, God commands us To live in a manner worthy of something, namely the gospel. Uh, That's the command of this passage. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we'll unpack what that means. Uh, But you can write down if you want. The key command here is Paul urges us to walk. It's right there in verse 1. Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Meaning be known for your faith in Jesus and let that faith shape everything you do. As you would rise up in the morning, when you lay down at night, you want to shine the light of Jesus and live for Jesus in all that we do. Uh, So in this passage, um, the focus in particular of that worthy manner, Paul wants to focus in on something like he usually does, is to live in unity with other believers. So tonight we're going to be talking about living in unity. And we'll see the big idea is that because God commands us to live in a worthy manner, uh, worthy of the gospel, we must wholeheartedly pursue unity in Christ. Because God commands believers, that's us, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, we must wholeheartedly 
pursue unity in Christ. So a couple notes about what that unity is not. I don't mean uh, uniformity. So we're not going to require you guys to wear a uniform, a uh, youth group next week. At least I don't think that's what JT has in mind. Uh, we'll find out when he gets back. Uh, we're not going to require you to all like the same things. I would love if you like reading mysteries, like I do. I would love if you're a great basketball player, like I am. I would love if you're Chiefs and Cardinals fans, like I am. But the reality is we can have different interests, different likes and dislikes, and share a unity that is in Jesus. Right? So it's not in interests, it's not in friendship circles, our unity is in Christ. And then by unity as well, I don't mean that we have to value every idea as equal. So you'll hear the term unity thrown around in our culture, uh, and it often, unfortunately, carries the idea of kind of the least common denominator or the least common thing. Like, can we just agree that blue is blue and red is red? We'll be united around that. Everything else is opinion. If you think green is yellow, that's okay. If you think purple is orange, it's okay. You believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. Of course, with more significant things like faith and religion and worldview. But that unity and just seek to get along mentality is not what this passage is about. We're going to see today that Christian unity, uh, unity that followers in Christ have, is grounded in truth. Absolute truth. Uh, so a guy named Ben Merkel says, only a unity that's theologically grounded, so grounded in the study of God, in the reality of a triune God and his gospel, we'll be able to survive attacks from without and pressure from within. So only a theologically grounded unity in the reality of God and his gospel will be able to survive the world that we live in. So the unity, guys, that we're aiming for is a unity that centers on faith in Jesus that shapes our lives. So just quite simply, that's what we're united around is faith in Jesus. Uh, so here we go. Excited to preach about it. So first, first idea as we dig into the text, because God commands believers, again, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, that's over this whole sermon, driving this whole sermon, live in a manner worthy, we must first remember the calling that creates unity in Christ. So remember your calling. In verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, that means looking at what I've written before in this passage, in this book, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This calling is the call to salvation. Uh, so it's not talking about here a call to ministry. It's not talking about here some kind of personal hidden calling that one of you has, but not the other, or that this side of the room has, but not this. This is the very specific personal call of God to salvation, where he calls us out of darkness into life, right? Out of death into life. The little, little coasters that you guys have that we're giving out says death to life. That is the call of God. We're called to walk, instead of walking uh, dead in sin, pursuing our self-centered interests, to instead center our desires, our hope, our everything in God. Uh, that God is the center of our life. We're following Jesus. That is our calling. Uh, pick up our cross daily. And Jesus says, thankfully, that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. His cross is a cross of uh, joyful dependence on the Lord. Uh, that God gives us strength. You guys don't have to look inside your own strength, uh, inside your own selves for strength. We look to God, right, to strengthen us, to help us. That is the calling that we're living in light of. Okay, we're going to learn a couple, couple of fun words tonight. Uh, we'll see if you think they're fun. Indicative and imperative. 
<laughs> All right, what the heck am I talking about? Indicative and imperative. So, an indicative is a statement of fact, an imperative is a command. So, statement of fact and command. You've got to do it. I can't fill that with imperative. It's imperative that you do this. Indicative is that's a statement of fact. So, it is cold outside, therefore, wear a coat. Which one is the indicative? It's it cold, cold outside. Great, love it. Therefore, wear a coat. So it's cold. In line of that, if it's cold, wear a coat. Now, my kids ignore that particular imperative, particularly as they hit 13, 14, 15, but beside the point. The point is indicative and imperative. Why that matters is in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul used one imperative, so one command. It was virtually all about who we are. Statements of fact. And not just this, like, kind of stale bread statements of fact, like a rich, healthy, flirt, nourishing meal statements of fact. Paul sharing, this is who you are. This is who you are. And we'll look at a few of those. And his only imperative in the first three chapters is remember who you are. Okay? So it must be important. So this is, the, this is the part of the sermon where this is where your parents put it, go into their pay attention to me voice. Okay, so perk up, pay attention. Guys, in Christ, this is what's true of people in Christ. You are God's beloved son or daughter, fully known and fully loved. There's nothing that could cast you out of God's presence if you are in Christ. In Christ, you're blameless before God. So pure and blameless. God's grace is enough. Uh, to separate your sin as far from him as the east is from the west, or as far as us as the east is from the west. You're blameless in Christ. You're redeemed, or bought back. So if you redeem a coupon, I don't put coupons much these days, but if you redeem a coupon, it's in place of a dollar, two dollars, whatever it is. If Jesus has given us our life back, right? If he's redeemed our lives back uh, from this kind of frittering away for ourselves to the, the beauty and the glory of living for God. In Christ, we receive the riches of God's grace. And the picture that's painted of the new heavens and new earth, guys, is unreal. Talking about streets of gold and all these jewels and sapphires and riches. To just try and capture the riches of grace that God personally gives everyone who is in Christ. We're citizens of God's kingdom. We're members of God's family. Because of who you are in Christ. That is who you are. Because of the fact that you are in Christ, that is who you are. Because that's the most important thing. If you're here in this room, and that is totally foreign to you, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, I don't know God in that way. I don't believe in Jesus. What, what is available to you is a relationship with God through Jesus. And I would call you to believe. Uh, we believe that God is the holy and perfect creator uh, who loves us. And our sin against him, our choosing to, instead of going God's way, go our own way leads to a separation that we can never make up, right? You might be better than the person next to you, or not as bad as you could be, but compared to God, you fall short. Uh, as far short as trying to stand on some phone books in the Grand Canyon. It's how far short we fall, right? So that, that is bad news for people like us. And the incredibly good news for people like us is that Jesus then is a perfect Savior for us. So the Bible's clear. Jesus is God and man. He lived a perfect life. As you face the suffering that we face, face the temptations that we face perfectly, and then died in our place. Died in our place for us, rose again from the dead, which we're going to celebrate soon at Easter, 
And Jesus is alive. So he's at God's right hand, welcoming all in who would believe in him. So just, you can, where you are, you say, I'm sorry for my sin, I trust in Jesus. And if you do that tonight, if you do that later on uh, when you're back home, tell someone around you, tell someone you know. We want to know about that. We want to help you grow in a relationship in Christ. If you are a believer in this room, you know, I'm a believer. Guys, we say at the end of every service, if you come on a Sunday, you are loved. That's not just a tagline. That is the basis of our lives. Right, that is who we are. We are most fundamentally loved, which means when you walk into this room or any room, you don't have to prove yourselves to each other. You don't have to try and be more beautiful than the people around you, more accomplished than the people around you. Guys, I know you're trying to be more beautiful. Just, just call, <laughs> chill, chill out. Uh, you belong as a starting point, right? And that's the good news. We belong as a starting point. I do. Anyone in Christ does. And that, that is good news. You are God's beloved child. And then here's the turn. Here's why I gave you those words. Indicative, uh, who we are, imperative, what we're called to do, commanded to do. There's 39 imperatives in chapters 4 through 6. So you better believe that our works, what we do, matter. Because they save us? No. Jesus' work saves us. But do our works matter? Absolutely. Uh, our actions, words, behaviors, choices, your thoughts that bear fruit matter because they reflect What's important in here, what's important in our hearts, and what we actually truly believe. Not just what we're saying with our minds, what we actually functionally trust in and believe comes out in the manner of our life. And so we seek to walk in a manner worthy. Uh, walk in a manner worthy. So, first point, live in light of the calling to which you are called. Second, then, because God commands us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, we must develop the character traits, or you could say develop the attributes that characterize unity in Christ. Or just really, we must pursue Christ-like character, if you want to sum it up. We must pursue Christ-like character. Again, not to earn anything from God, statement of facts, you're accepted. As a result, this is how we live. We pursue this character. Uh, verses 2 and 3 state some of these characteristics. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager... <laughs> Eager. This, Christianity is not a dead faith. Right? Hopefully if you're here, you know that. You see John and Betsy going crazy, worshiping God in the front row every week. Right? Sam as well. Sam and Amy. Uh, it's an eager faith. We're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's a similar list in Colossians 3, uh, 12 and 15, if you want to jot that down to look at. This is not an exhaustive list. This is representative of Christ-like character. Uh, and we can look at these. So humility, uh, guys, we, we receive far better than we deserve. And that should free us up uh, to, to relax, to let our hair down, to be who we are, and to just really have a humble joy uh, at knowing God. Not, don't, again, we're not better than others. That's the beauty of the cross. We're equal at the foot of the cross. So humility, uh, gentleness, any of you know who struggle with anger in particular, it takes incredible strength to be gentle. Right? It's not a weak thing. It's incredible strength to show kindness to others when they are anything but kind to you. Uh, and it builds them with patience. Right? I'm sure one of your favorite words. Your parents never talk about patience. Uh, but guys, in all seriousness, let's say you are a believer and your parents are unbelievers. Patience means long-suffering. I just would encourage you to have others praying for you. That's a hard place to be. 
and God is with you in it. He wants you to be strong in your faith, even as your parents don't understand or care about the gospel that you so value. Uh, God is with you. Jesus' patience exceeds yours, and he will help you be patient with an unbelieving parent. How about a believing parent? Absolutely. The Lord commands patience, and the Lord commands you to honor and obey your parents. So I promise you, even if you don't understand why your parents have the expectations they do, as long as they align with Scripture, your call is honor and obey. Honor and obey. And you can know I don't have to be anxious about God. What, what should I do? I'm frustrated. You can honor and obey. Uh, even if you don't agree with your parents about the expectations they have, you don't agree the discipline they're giving you, you should honor and obey. Because the, joy, the Lord has great joy for you in that place because by honoring and obeying your parents with great patience, we need it, right? We're not perfect. You're living in a manner worthy of your calling, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul continues by saying, bearing with one another in love. So all of this comes out of a genuine desire for the well-being of the people that you're with. And then that verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirits in the bonds of peace. So eager is doing your best, like full energy, full effort, full on for unity. For unity, it must really matter, right? So what, what are we talking about here? To make sure we understand what unity is, I explained what it was not earlier. Unity is a combination of parts that are one. So a combination of these different, different parts that function as a whole, right? So we had a worship team up here. The guys on guitar, uh, vocalists, keyboard, they're leading us, though, as a whole. So it's four people leading as a whole. You can think of an orchestra with all these different uh, instruments, a conductor leading them. A great orchestra, guys, is incredible because of the unity and the beauty in that unity. So we're eager. We make every effort to prove, prove we're right. No, to be united with those around us. Uh, to make it into that best friend group that we just wish we could be a part of. No, it's good to desire friends. And guys, may we be the tech people that welcome people in so that friend groups aren't hard to penetrate. Okay? Pursue unity, though. Make every effort to pursue unity. We're breaking down barriers. We're including, not excluding. Guys, for some of you, growing and living in a manner worthy could be as simple as walking up to someone you don't normally sit with or talk to, asking them a question, and genuinely caring about the answer. That is literally it. It's that simple. And God will strengthen you in that faith. That is what God is asking us to do. And the unity that we strive for, guys, you can see in Scripture, is one that we maintain. Verse 3. So we're eager to maintain. That means it's a unity that already exists. And it's a unity that comes from the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. So we don't create the unity. The pressure's off there. God creates the unity. It's the Spirit's unity. And the Holy Spirit, guys, unifies the church with God. Uh, the Holy Spirit connects us to the Father through the Son. And Paul tells this church to work to maintain that unity. Which means to stay on the same page with each other, living by faith in Jesus, young and old, single and married, children and adults, uh, the more extroverted and the more introverted among you, studious and athletic. Uh, funny and more reserved as we're known for our unity in Jesus. That's the beauty of the church. And that, that includes your 
parents, that includes senior adults, that includes everything that's going on on Sundays, everything that's going on on Wednesdays, everything that's going on the 20s on Thursdays and live groups. Guys, we are the church together. We must work to develop Christ-like character. And then finally, because God commands believers to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, we must embrace, like a warm embrace, the doctrines that form the foundation of unity in Christ. So we're embracing the doctrines, that means the beliefs, the truths that scripture lays out, and that's the foundation of our unity in Christ. Truth, uh, going hand in hand with a real genuine relationship with the Lord, you want both. Truth should be rich and alive to us. You have JT here, you don't need me to preach that very long. Um, verses 4 through 6 bear out some just some really fun theology here. So here we go. Verses 4 through 6. There's one body and one spirit. This is you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So Paul's favorite number is two. Just kidding. Uh, one. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So unity is expressed in all of that, right? Uh, it's broken out. I've said Trinity multiple times, so that's the key doctrine we're going to hone in on here for the next few minutes. Trinity is um, there's one God and three persons, and it's this. <laughs> all right, it's one being, one God, three persons. It's here in these verses. Verse 4 is the Spirit. Uh, so the Holy Spirit forms this body, the church, um, this calling to which the hope that belongs to our call, the Spirit is the one who calls us out of darkness into light. Verse 5 is about Jesus. So when it says Lord there, that the word used is used of Jesus all throughout the New Testament. So that's saying Jesus, our Lord, one faith, one baptism. So the faith that we have, this faith here, is a collection of beliefs. So we say one set of beliefs. And then one baptism. Right? So we're baptized. We are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not... Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the church in Rome, or the church in New York, or Redeemer churches. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and churches across the world are baptized. One baptism expresses faith in Christ. And then verse 6 is about the Father. Okay, so God and Father, He's over all, He's through all, He's in all. So He's sovereign, He's all-powerful, He's with us every waking moment. He knows our thoughts before, He knows words before they're formed on our tongue. Uh, that is this God that we worship. Uh, so guys, what are, what are we talking about with Trinity? And let's try to dig in a little bit. It is an unbelievably glorious truth that God is Trinity. And the, the takeaway for us tonight is our unity with each other is based on God's unity with himself. And that's the point. God is united in himself, showing perfect love within the Trinity. Our unity is based on that. So when are we going to stop having this call to unity? Never. <laughs> right? Never. It's, it's with us forever. We're going to be worshiping forever, united in heaven one day. So we're just getting started on earth with unity. Let's just take a little crack at the unity of the Trinity. So Michael Reeves, in a book called Delight in the Trinity, says to know the Trinity, so again, God is Father, Son, Spirit, is to know God, an eternal and personal God of infinite beauty, interest, and fascination. Uh, Genesis 1, 26, God says, let us Make man in our image. He's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to create in our image. And for all eternity, the Father, Son, and Spirit had a perfect love between one another. Uh, serving one another. The Father leading the Son. The Son submitting to and, and obeying the Father. The Spirit strengthening 
the Son, always carrying out the will of the Father. God has perfect unity in himself. He is the perfect orchestra, the perfect worship team, the perfect whatever team you want to say. God is, represents perfect unity and perfect love. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. So think with me for a minute. Uh, you, can, you can throw out some words. What words do you think of that characterize a good father? Just a few of you. Don't be shy. As a word comes to mind, you think, oh yeah, a good father is... Loving. Disciplined. Okay. Yeah, what else? Kind. Humble and kind. Yeah, a few more. And this father is... What is it? Selfless. Yeah. Think of loving, strong, provider, being for you. Uh, guys, I know that your fathers are not perfect, that I'm not perfect. God the Father is perfect. God the Father is perfect. He wants you to know him, you to know him in that way. You can go to him in that way, you can trust him, live in the light with him. How about son? Attributes of a good son. Characteristics of a good son. Again, same thing. Shout them out. Okay. Obeying father. Good. You listened to the first part of the sermon. That's good. Yeah, what else? Humble. Okay. Yeah, thankful is huge. Huge, huge, huge. Yeah. I think of joy in relationship. A father with my son, if they're <coughs> joyful me. That's, that is, that fills the heart. Um, honoring, we talked about honoring. Uh, guys, this, Jesus the Son always honored the Father in that way, saves us and calls us into that kind of a relationship with the Father. Uh, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Uh, he knows our every struggle. Uh, he knows our every weakness and his grace, God's grace through Jesus is enough. Uh, you're never too far from God uh, for God to save you. And uh, you're close here. You're never too far from good. Something about the reach of God's grace and the need of for God's grace. You guys can think of it and say it better than me, but we're never too far for either, right? We have to have it, and we're never so far that God can't uh, work His grace in us through His Son. And then Spirit, guys, the Holy Spirit. Shares the love of the Father, empowers the Son to obey the Father, gives us new life with the Father through Jesus, and now empowers us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We have a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, not of fear. Second uh, Timothy 1. <coughs> and so Jesus prays about the Trinity in John 17, uh, verses 22 and 23. Jesus is praying to the Father and says, Father, the glory that you've given me, the Son, I've given to them, that's us believers, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Not much going on there, uh, not much to unpack, right? If you want to meditate on something about the Trinity, meditate on that, guys, just for the joy that Jesus came, we would know the joy that he's had for all eternity with his Father. It's why he came, that's what he gives, and that's why this doctrine has been central to Christianity since the time of Jesus. It's in the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, that before creation, before time, before the world existed, the Father, Son, and Spirit lived in perfect unity, and that's the model for our unity with each other. 
This means that the unity we're seeking to live with is not based on our best attempts to create it. We are maintaining a unity that already exists and that God would call us into. So guys, we live in a manner worthy by wholeheartedly pursuing unity in Christ. What are you known for? What are you living for? What is, what is the Lord stirring in you right now? I would encourage different responses. Again, if you are not a believer tonight, uh, your response of faith is to believe in Jesus and to come and, and begin to experience what this life is. And tell someone if you make that decision. We want to help you in that. Uh, guys, this, this passage mentions one baptism. If you believe in Christ and have not been baptized, get in the water. <laughs> we would love to publicly affirm your faith. Talk to JT. Uh, talk to you, one of your life group leaders and just say, hey, I've, I've been kind of, okay, I want it this time. You're publicly affirming what already exists, faith in Christ. So it doesn't save you. Believe in Jesus and then be baptized as a public profession of faith. And then, guys, for all of us, wholeheartedly pursue unity in Jesus. Wholeheartedly just getting after it. That's what we're known for. That's what we want to be known for with the gifting and ability and personality that God has given you. Be united around your faith in Jesus. Who you are shapes what you do. Uh, indicative, you're alive in Christ. Imperative, live in a manner worthy. Uh, guys, let's do it together. Thank you. Pray for us. Uh, God, you are good and you are kind. And it is a, it is a treasure to dive into this passage. Uh, God, help us to remember who we are. Remember that uh, though we were lost, now we're found. Uh, that we were dead, now we're alive. Received us in Jesus. And so every fear we have, we can bring to you. Every anxiety we experience, we can offer to you. And, uh, and God, at the same time, every every act of pride and self-centeredness, we can turn over to you. And turn again to Jesus. You are perfect Savior. Uh, Jesus, empower us to glorify you, to live in a manner worthy of our calling. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.